Trade deadline edition of PFTPM. The window has closed until March 16 of 2022. No more trades, no more transactions, and not much happened today. Still, a lot of other things did indeed happen today. Over the course of the next hour, we will tell you everything that you need to know, including handing out our awards for week eight. I say good afternoon to Shireen Williams, who will be with me the entire hour. Hello, Shireen. Hi, Mike. You know how this used to be the no trade league. I do like that we're getting some trades at least, but I think you and I are both under agreement that they've got to move this trade deadline back. It's just far too early. Teams are still in the chase right now with 17 games. Best example, the Philadelphia Eagles. The difference between 2-6 and six and 3-5 yeah. and five after beating the Lions puts them in a position where they're plausibly alive. And in the NFC, we know there are six teams who have separated from the rest – all of the rest except the Lions are in the hunt for the seventh seed. And it's a horrible mm. message to send to your paying customers to give up prematurely on the current season. So you stand pat. You don't make moves. And I think fewer and fewer teams this year were willing to engage in what we would call a fire sale or even begin to move assets. The Texans are the only one willing to do that. And, of course, they didn't make the one trade we've been waiting for for months now, but we'll get into all of those details. Before we do that, though, we have to turn to a serious story that emerged out of nowhere today. TMZ had the first report that Henry Ruggs, the Raiders' second-year receiver, first receiver taken in the 2020 draft, was involved in a serious car accident in Las Vegas. The photos from the scene suggested significant damage to two vehicles. Initially, there was no indication as to Ruggs' injuries or whether anyone was suspected of using alcohol or drugs. Before too long, the Las Vegas police issued a statement that Ruggs will be charged with felony DUI resulting in death. One of the participants in that collision, the driver of the other car, the car that was allegedly rear-ended by Ruggs' Corvette, died. The Toyota RAV4 was actually on fire. They found the deceased inside the vehicle after the fire was put out, and Ruggs will be charged with felony DUI resulting in death. That is a Class B felony under Nevada law with prison time between 2 and 20 years. We don't know any details about blood alcohol level, whether there was some other substance at play. All we know is the police learned enough initially to come to that conclusion. Usually it doesn't happen that quickly. I remember with the Britt Reed situation. It took a couple of months yeah. before he was charged. So whatever they found, whatever they concluded, whatever they decided based upon the initial information led them to decide that there will be a charge. Now, it's not formal yet, but for the police to say that so quickly, it must tell me they have a pretty strong reason to believe, Shireen, that there was some sort of impairment. Yeah, it's a really sad story, Mike, and unfortunately we hear this far too much with athletes and, and otherwise just out in the public. And this should never happen anymore with Lyft, with Uber, with everything else we have now. It's so easy to get a ride home. And the fact that we keep seeing this is just unfathomable to me. But here we are again. Nothing good, as we know, happens at 3.40 a.m., which is when this happened, and it did. But there was no reason, if he was impaired, for him to have been driving. And I think that's the bottom line in all this. And hopefully this serves as a lesson to others. If you're drinking, out drinking and having a good time, nothing wrong with that. Just get a ride home. Please get a ride home. There was a time 
before the rise of the drive-sharing services, ride-sharing services, whatever they're generically called, Uber, Lyft, etc., that the NFL Players Association yeah. made a service available where all you had to do was call a number and they would send a car and pick you up. Players were wary of that because they thought somehow that confidential information would get back to the teams and you'd get in some sort of trouble or you'd be flagged in some way, so they didn't want to use it. That's not an issue now. We've all got it on our phone. All we got to do is press the button. It's in there. It, it almost feels like you're getting something for free. It's such a weird feeling when you press a button, yeah. a car picks you up, takes you somewhere, you get out. The transaction automatically ends up being charged to your credit card or your debit card on file. It is just a weird sensation to do that. But it's easy. There's no excuse for it. And you'd have to be extremely impaired not to be able to pull up Uber or Lyft on your phone and press the button. There is no excuse. There never was an excuse. It's just easier now than ever to, to get home some other way. And you can take an Uber back to your car that you left wherever you were if and when you were somewhere and you were consuming alcohol or other substances to the point where you were impaired. So there is no excuse for it. It's a tragic situation. And this is the third time since 1998 that an NFL player has been involved in something like this, where you have an allegation of DUI resulting in death. Leonard Little of the Rams in 1998, 47-year-old Susan Gutweiler died because he was driving drunk. He ultimately was suspended eight games by Commissioner Paul Tagliabue. And then in 2009, Dante Stallworth, then with the Browns, was charged with manslaughter in Florida and DUI involved in that. And Roger Goodell suspended him for a full year. And in this case, paid leave has emerged since the last situation. And Henry Ruggs could find himself. I mean, he's got bigger problems right now. He's got yeah. real life problems, and he's going to be dealing with the guilt and the responsibility if he was indeed impaired. Even if he wasn't impaired, it was a rear end collision. And one of the first things I learned when I learned how to drive is if you hit somebody from behind, it's your fault because you always need to be far enough back that you yeah. can stop no matter what happens with the car in front of you. Uh, he's got to carry that guilt around. But um, if he's officially charged with a felony, Shireen, He's eligible to be put on paid leave until the prosecution ends. At that time, he would be looking at, I assume, the same punishment as Dante Stallworth, a one-year suspension. And I'll go back. I'll add two others to your list, Mike, both Cowboys. Dwayne Goodrich, who spent a good amount of time in jail for his. And also, we can't forget Josh Brent, uh, who killed a teammate while driving drunk. And uh, fortunately, unfortunately, whatever, Dwayne Goodrich has turned his life around and went back to the University of Tennessee, got his degree, and has been speaking. He's on the speaking t tour and says he's doing it for his victims. And he speaks to college teams. He speaks to NFL teams. And I would like to see every – and I don't know what they do, but I would like to see every NFL team bring in a Dwayne Goodrich and have them speak to the team about what he went through and how his life changed and – more importantly, how the lives of others changed. They will never come back. And he talks openly about that. And th the weird thing about this, Mike, is 
Henry Ruggs celebration is he holds up three fingers. And the reason he holds up three fingers is because his teammate, his former teammate, Rod Scott, died in a car accident and he wore number three. So he holds up those three fingers whenever he celebrates. So he, as much as anyone, should know about car wrecks and what they can do and not driving drunk. And yet here he is in this situation and we'll see what happens to him. We've seen some guys come back and play after this, Leonard Little being the, being the case. Others have not, Dwayne Goodrich being the case. So I would like to see if somebody truly is driving drunk, I would like to see their career be over. But I know that sometimes guys are too talented and they get second, third, fourth chances in the NFL like Leonard Little did. Yeah, Josh Brent's career basically ended. He was not in pads for 18 months, and uh, eventually he had – a suspension on top of everything else of of 10 games and uh i don't know that he ever actually played again after that if he did he didn't play for very long but uh th- this is a, a serious moment for the nfl and it is an occasion for everyone and i guess we need a reminder from time to time because as time passes you have you have a new evolution or rise of yeah. of young people who who didn't know about it, who haven't had an experience like that that really wakes them up and serves as a real-life reminder of what can happen. And I think everyone in the NFL should see this as the ultimate proof and indication and encouragement to, number one, not put yourself in that situation at all. Don't drink to excess when you're anywhere but at home where there's nowhere to go. There's no driving to be done. And if you are at a point where you know that you're you're getting beyond where you should be or if you know that's going to be the case make the arrangement ahead of time or have the presence of mind to hit the button and there's also an an obligation of those around the person who's impaired i believe whether it's legal or moral or both to intervene when someone seems to have have had enough Uh, because sometimes the impairment prevents the person from realizing how impaired they are. So uh, it's a shared responsibility, and it's a lesson to be learned. And we, we uh, extend our thoughts, obviously, to the victim and the victim's family. But also Henry Ruggs is going to go through some trauma here because it wasn't intentional, but it was nevertheless criminal. And he will be paying the price in many different ways, basically for the rest of his life. Okay, turning to the action at the trade do- deadline or the lack thereof. No trade for... Deshaun Watson. The Dolphins got the word out around 2 to 15 p.m. Eastern time. It leaks to multiple national insiders to make it clear that they weren't going to be trading for Deshaun Watson. And everything that came out today was consistent with what I'd reported over the weekend. We had the story at PFT that the Texans and the Dolphins were closing in on a deal last week. They never actually had a deal, but they were closing in on a deal. The Texans caught wind of efforts by Deshaun Watson to get the 22 civil lawsuits accusing him of sexual misconduct during massage therapy sessions settled. And when the Texans caught wind of it, they drove up the price. The talks fell apart, and they could never get it back together again. And you throw in the fact that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, first got permission to speak to Deshaun Watson last night. That is not enough time to thread all of the needles. That is not enough time to land all the planes. Because it's not just Texans and Dolphins coming to a deal. It's Watson 
making sufficient progress toward settling the cases so the trade can be done. And it kind of occurred to me late last week, Shireen, there's too much that needs to be done to land the plane. And when you're dealing with two franchises that have a track record of dysfunction, that dysfunction can get in the way of landing the plane. Yeah, it's such a complicated deal. And throw in to that Deshaun Watson's no trade clause, and it makes it even more complicated, Mike. Here's a qu- I have two questions, actually, for you. Um, the, the first one is, do you think the price goes up or down now? Because obviously there could be more suitors in the offseason. But second, how does this play out? Does, because we don't think he would have been, we don't know for sure, but we don't think he would have been put on the commissioner exempt list. But now does he get suspended for 2022? So is he going to miss not only all of this year, but part of next year? Well, and you know what? Before we even get there, there is a risk, small as it may be, that Deshaun Watson shows up tomorrow and says, put me in, coach, I'm ready yeah, to play. Right. I don't think that'll happen. And they can't, they can't be forced to play him, but they can be forced to let him be present to work out in the facility, to practice with the team, and potentially get injured at practice or in the facility or doing whatever it is that he's doing as a full-fledged member of the team. You cannot put a guy on paid leave unless he's okay with it. This is the Terrell Owens rule from the 2006 CBA. And at one point, Steve McNair had to file a grievance to prevent the Ravens from locking him out of the facility when they were trying to trade him and they wanted him to not be at risk of getting injured in the building. So he could show up. But but assuming he doesn't and he continues to get the balance of his $10 million salary for the rest of the year, that's when we see where we stand in March. And as we know, deals can be negotiated weeks in advance of the March 16 opening of the trade window. In theory, somebody could do a deal with the Texans tomorrow for March 16. It's not enforceable until then, but they could have. We, you know, we've seen these deals get done before the Super Bowl. Alex Smith trade to Washington was done before the Super Bowl, even though it couldn't be finalized for a month and a half. And um, I, we're going to know more by the time a trade is done, if a trade is done in March. We'll know whether or not he's been indicted by a grand jury, because I think sooner than later a grand jury is going to take up the ten criminal complaints and come to a conclusion as to whether or not he should face criminal charges the civil cases won't be done but if it's important for the Dolphins for example for them to be settled the cases can be settled and I think it would be smarter for Deshaun Watson to just get them taken care of in the interim because one of the impediments may have been I haven't heard this yet but it wouldn't surprise me if one of the impediments was Tony Busby putting his thumb on the scale once he realized hey Now I know why all of a sudden they're willing to agree to my demand for confidentiality for whatever numbers we had been discussing. I want more because it means more to Deshaun because this is what's standing in the way of him getting the trade that he wants. So the civil complaints would still have to be dealt with if he doesn't settle them between now and then. But you're right, Shereen, once all the dust settles, that's when the window opens for the unpaid suspension, the Ben Roethlisberger punishment, who was never charged with a crime, And had two incidents. One, he was sued for rape in Nevada in 2009. Then there was the incident in Georgia in 2010 that triggered the suspension of six games. It was reduced to four games. So that was always hovering for 2022. For this year, it was just paid leave. And I don't think the league would have put him on paid leave, but they weren't going to make a decision until they had to. And look, they didn't have to. So uh, I I would think on the surface the Texans get more in March. 
because more yeah. teams will come to the table. But there's also a chance it's more complicated come March because maybe what we learn between now and then makes the situation less palatable for a trade. It seems like both the Texans and the Dolphins are rolling dice here. We know the Dolphins want him. Stephen Ross, you've said that a number of times, Mike. Stephen Ross covets Deshaun Watson. He wants this trade to happen, and it's not going to happen this year now, obviously. So they're rolling the dice that what they could have given up to get him now will be less than what they could give up to get him in March if they still want to be players in March. I guess there's always a possibility that Tua could develop into the franchise quarterback that they expected him to be when they drafted him, but he's shown really no signs of that. And then the Texans, frankly, are rolling the dice a little bit, too, that the, the trade value of Deshaun Watson could actually come down in March less than in what it is now. So um, and, and really interesting to me, this is one of the most interesting trade deadlines we've had for a player, I think, in, in recent memory. And you know, here's how the sausage gets made. When it was time for the Dolphins to put the word out that they weren't doing the trade, they handpick who they leak it to, and they went yeah. to Shefty. And the tweet from Shefty, this was intriguing to me because here's the initial tweet that he posted. Although the Dolphins did due diligence on Deshaun Watson and had conversations with Houston, Miami will not make a trade for the quarterback per source. Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, who had contingencies that needed to be met for any deal, made the final decision to not move forward. That caught my attention because when we were reporting that Ross really wanted Watson, what was the response? Oh, 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 no, no. He doesn't make football decisions. Yeah. No, no, he leaves it to his people. He doesn't get involved. No, owner doesn't make decisions. He trusts his people to make the decisions. He, no, 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 no. Hands off. <laughs> well, hands on when it was time to put the kibosh on it, Shireen. And it shows you how involved he was. The owners are involved. And, and, and I think Nick Casario has got a little problem for not getting this done because Cal McNair, according to Shefty the other day, wanted the deal to be done. And the, the candy bar example is what I use all the time. It's also an example in my book, Playmakers, which is hovering over Shereen's shoulder. <laughs> if, if, if the owner of a team walks into the front door of the team facility, and at the reception desk, there's a bowl of Twix. And if the owner is as out of touch as most owners are, he's never seen a Twix before in his life, and he opens it up, and he eats it, and he says aloud, that's the best damn candy I've ever had in my life. Everywhere you go, from that point forward, every drawer you open, every cabinet that flies toward your face, Twix will be everywhere. Because that's what the boss likes. That's what the boss wants. So this idea that, that owners have preferences but they don't tell their people what to do is ludicrous, Shireen. And, and that final portion of the Shefty tweet proves it. Stephen Ross said no. Well, the reality is Stephen Ross is the one who was saying yes. Oh, no question, Mike. And owners, most owners in the NFL do have a say and a big say in their football teams. We know Jerry Jones more than most probably, but a lot of them, I, what, 99% probably have a say, maybe 90%, I don't know. But a bunch of owners in this league, most owners in this league have a say of what goes on in personnel. There is absolutely no question about that, Mike. And if they don't want somebody or they want somebody gone, it's going to happen. You know, it's funny how 
and these titans of industry. Now, either they make their money or they inherit their team. But either way, these folks are among the American oligarchs. They are so afraid of being perceived in a way that will get them criticized. So on one hand, they have a $64 million per year pin cushion to protect their policy decisions <laughs> and other actions collectively as the league. And then they hide behind the people they hire to run their football operations when they want them to do something. Oh, no, no, we didn't, we didn't make yeah. that decision, even if they actually did. It's, it's kind of funny that they, they use that opportunity to protect themselves from criticism. But as a wise man once told me, the only thing better than being rich and famous is being rich. And I think a lot of these folks who end up buying teams would prefer to go back to the days where they just had a crap load of money and nobody knew who they were because most of them end up being criticized at some point. All right, uh, let's pivot to the Browns, where Jimmy Haslam once blamed drafting Johnny Manziel on a homeless guy's suggestion as he walked into the facility. It wasn't Jimmy Haslam's idea. <laughs> That's a good it was the homeless guy. Um, Odo Beckham Jr., and I assume it wasn't Jimmy Haslam's idea to trade for Odo Beckham Jr. in 2019. He hasn't been traded. And who, who wants him at this point? Who's taking on the salary? Mm-hmm. Who's going to give the Browns value? I think part of it, too, is it kind of bubbled up too, too quickly that maybe Odell wants out. But it became clear today Odell wants out. He hasn't said a word about it. But it's not an accident or a coincidence that on the same day, the day of the trade deadline, both Odell Beckham Sr. and LeBron James chime in on social media. Dad posted an 11-minute video of all the times that Odo Beckham Jr. was open and Baker Mayfield (laughs) missed him or didn't throw it to him, which is hilarious and accurate. And then LeBron James tweeted, basically, free OBJ. And and they're friends. This isn't some random NBA player who happens to be a fan of Odo Beckham Jr. They're friends. They have a relationship. So I think this was Odo Beckham Jr.'s way of getting out there what he wants. And now... Kevin Stefanski is going to have some interesting questions tomorrow when he has his next media availability because he's going to have to deal with this. How, how, what do you do? Do you, you, you renew your vows and you find a way to make it work with OBJ or you just cut him? You just cut him. You cut him and you hope somebody claims him on waivers and then you're no longer financially responsible. But, you know, Baker Mayfield's a guy who's been thrown into the middle of this. He may have some opinions. And if he goes to Kevin Stefanski tomorrow morning, and they have a conversation behind closed doors, and I doubt that Baker Mayfield will be bashful about saying, can we please get this guy the hell out of here? That's going to be an issue for the Browns, Shireen. Yeah, it almost seems at this point, Mike, that it's too toxic for him to return to that locker room. That's just the way it appears to me. And I have questions, seriously, about how good Odell Beckham is. I mean, the first three years, yes, he made the Pro Bowl and he had over a thousand years but since that 2016 season he hasn't been good I mean he just hasn't and you talk about not throwing to him I mean the criticism in 2019 was they tried to force the ball into him every single play Baker targeted him 133 times and he had only 74 catches and it was stopped targeting uh, Odell Beckham and then last year what happens he has the torn ACL he leaves they make the postseason so at this point I think it's clear I think they have evidence from last year that this is a team that's better off without Odell Beckham so at this point you cut your losses say goodbye we didn't get anything for him so what hopefully somebody picks him up on waivers 
And remember when somebody asked Baker Mayfield after the Week 7 injury that ended Odell Beckham Jr.'s season last year, he was actually trying to make a tackle after an interception when it happened. Mayfield got salty about the idea that they're better off without yeah. Baker Mayfield, and they ended up being better off or without, without Odell Beckham, and they ended up Odell. being better off without him. I think back to the, uh, the game against the Cowboys Week 4 of last year. That was when Kevin yeah. Stefanski made a concerted effort to involve Odo Beckham Jr. in the offensive game plan because there's two ways to get the ball in the hands of a playmaker. One, you have him run his route, and you hope that his number is called in the progression and the ball is successfully delivered to him down the field. And I think in 2019, undue pressure was put on Baker Mayfield under the Freddie Kitchens regime to get the ball to OBJ. Jarvis Landry was chiming in on that. It was a constant thing because Beckham genuinely believed – Number one, we're losing, and number two, I'm not getting the ball. So number three, if I was getting the ball more, we'd be winning. When Stefanski arrived early on, he did, and I've got the stats up here. Beckham had two rushes for 73 yards and a touchdown against the Cowboys. He had five, or he had five catches for 81 yards and two more touchdowns. One of them was thrown to him by Jarvis Landry. Um, and and you, you don't have to just you know, hope the guy gets open. You can do bubble screens, jet sweeps, put him in the backfield and hand it off to him or toss it to him. There are ways to get a guy who is very skilled with the football in his hands to get the ball in his hands. And they haven't done that this year. They could have used him on Sunday against the Steelers, Shireen. He had one catch for six yards, and that was it. And Stefanski said earlier this week, I need to do a better job of getting Odell Beckham Jr. involved. And, and there's no middle ground here. Either they resolve to get him involved or they admit – we have evolved away from OBJ. It was John Dorsey who was the GM. It was Freddie Kitchens who was the head coach. It's all changed now. We're moving forward without OBJ. And if we don't get anything for him, we don't get anything for him. Maybe we get lucky and somebody grabs his contract on waivers and we don't have to pay him anymore. Yeah, and they need to figure it out quickly, Mike. And so he doesn't go in that locker room and become a distraction for that team. Either they figure out a way to get him involved. Like you said, that Cowboys game was the one game when you look at and you go, hey, he was really involved and he was a big part of that game and a big reason they won that game. So either you find those ways to use him, which if you were going to do that, why haven't you already done that this season? I realize he had the shoulder injury and was out part of the season and coming back off that torn ACL. Nonetheless, if that was your plan, why didn't you already do that? And secondly, if you're not going to get him involved, if it's going to be like it's been, then he, he needs to move on. He needs to go somewhere else. It would be better off for the Browns and better off for Odell Beckham if he's somewhere else, if this is how it's going to be with him in Cleveland. The L.A. Rams were shopping to Sean Jackson, who arrived this year on a one-year deal with a bunch of fanfare. Oh, boy, how great is this going to be? you got Cooper Cup, you got Robert Woods, you got Deshaun Jackson, Van Jefferson. And early on, it was like Jackson was good for one long pass per game, and I think that does a great job of keeping the defense honest. But lately, Jackson hasn't been used. He clearly wasn't happy with his role. Usually a guy's happy to be with a team that, you know, may be competing to go to the Super Bowl and win it. But Jackson, like plenty of other receivers... They want to be on the field. They want to be catching the ball. They want to be contributing. He wanted out. They weren't able to trade him. And even with Tutu Atwell on injured reserve, who was kind of the, you know, the Deshaun Jackson Jr. in L.A., similar skill set, speed, ability to take the top off the defense, et cetera, they're releasing Deshaun Jackson. Now, they, had, they didn't do it before 4 o'clock Eastern today. So he's got to pass through waivers. And, oh, Deshaun 
if the Lions claim your contract, oh boy. Uh, hey, you'll get involved more. You'll be on the field more. <laughs> and, 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 and I'd like to think that anybody that would put in a waiver claim at least makes a phone call to his agent or directly to Sean Jackson and says, hey, uh, does he really want to be here? Because we're not going to claim him on waivers if he doesn't. Yeah, it's going to be funny if a team like that does claim him. But, yeah, you would have to make that phone call, Mike. But, again, with Deshaun, it's sort of like Odell Beckham. Does he have anything? I mean, he made the one great catch against the box and, and scored, and it, w- it was nice and all that. But he really hasn't done very much. And he haven't, hasn't done very much in recent seasons. It's not like this is a one-season thing. But I could see a team, if let's say he clears waivers, a team like the Chiefs, or maybe they even take him on waivers, I don't know. But a team like the Chiefs, we've talked a lot about they need that Sammy Watkins in their offense that they don't have, and Josh Gordon hasn't been that guy. Maybe a team like that steps in and says, hey, we'll, we'll roll the dice and take a chance on Deshaun Jackson uh, helping us out for, for the rest of the year. And you know he'd go to a team like the Chiefs or somebody else, whoever it happens to be, and, and play for a contending team like that that's going to use him. There was a trade that happened earlier today, and we saw this one coming because Melvin Ingram wanted out of Pittsburgh. Now, he signed there in the offseason, and, and he was great insurance for the Steelers while T.J. Watt was holding mm. in. Ingram got a lot of reps. Got a lot of opportunities in the preseason, but then TJ comes back, and Ingram's not happy, and he got traded to the Kansas City Chiefs today. I'll paraphrase what Mike Tomlin said, um, and he said this before. We'd rather have volunteers than hostages. And, and, you know, it sounds good, but every time I hear him say that, Shereen, the first thing I think is, does that mean you're never going to draft another player again? Because they're not volunteers. Maybe they wanted to play for somebody else. Do you call them up and say, do you volunteer to play for the Steelers before you draft them? No. But, you know, once a guy's there, uh, if they respect that, that's fine. But, boy, it, it makes for an easy way out if you decide you want to leave because you just say, I don't want to play here anymore. And if he's going to be true to that mantra, he better let you go if you ask to be released because he'd rather have volunteers than hostages. And no question, Mike, if you're unhappy there, just say you're unhappy and you want to leave. And apparently the Steelers will grant your wish. But I think Melvin Gordon still, I mean, Melvin Ingram still has something left in the tank. And I think this was a really good trade for the Chiefs. They are second lowest in the league in sacks. They only have 11 and eight games. They need help. I know Frank Clark missed the three games and starting to get healthy and all of that. I, I, I get all that. But the Steelers were set with Alex Highsmith. They like what he's brought them. So Melvin Ingram wasn't getting that playing time, so he will get that playing time with the Chiefs, and I think this makes the Chiefs' pass rush better. All right, and and by the way, the Steelers getting a 2022 sixth-round pick from the Chiefs for Ingram, so they do get a little something in return. Let's take a break. An update on Dak Prescott, and could a certain retired quarterback be coming out of retirement and no it's not the retired quarterback that works for nbc (laughs) we'll discuss that when this tuesday afternoon edition of pftpm continues right after this Uh, we have every reason to think that he's on go uh, and uh, uh, he should be ready to go this will give him quite a layoff concluding the bye week that we had so um, uh, we have every reason to think that uh, he'll be on the field for us this week but uh, we should take a look at it and engage how he's responding he's the key he can tell you how he's feeling and uh, whether or not he's comfortable or not
Every once in a while, we get baritone Jerry Jones on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. I don't know if he just rolled out of bed or if he just smoked a pack of cigarettes. I don't know, but I like that. It's mellifluous. It's, it's pleasing to the ear to it. hear Dr. Jones. And I'm sure that it's pleasing to the Cowboys fans out there, Shereen, to hear that Dr. Jerry thinks that Dak Prescott will be back this week. <laughs> of course, he acted like he was going to be back last week. And, yeah, hey, great. house money. It's house money. They won with Cooper Rush, and they're in position to maybe climb the ladder above the four seed with some of the teams now in the NFC. You know, you got the Bucks losing. Maybe there's an opening there to get to number three, maybe to number two. Who knows? But uh, Jerry says they have every reason to think he's going to play this week, and I think if there's any doubt, you'll wait another week. you got some big games coming up. They play the Chiefs right before Thanksgiving, and then they have the Raiders on a short week. Make sure he's healthy before you put him back on the field, Shereen. Oh, absolutely, Mike. And I don't know if he can do further damage to that thing, but I'm absolutely sitting him down based on what I saw with Cooper Rush, based on the fact that, like you said, they stole one. I know they went into that Vikings game thinking they had a chance, but realistically striking that one in the loss column in pencil that we're probably going to lose this game with Cooper Rush making his first career start, and that didn't happen. So they got the win without Dak. Any chance that he can re-injure this thing, he can aggravate this thing, you absolutely go with Cooper Rush thinking that you can beat the Broncos now without Von Miller, without Garrett Bowles. You can beat the Vikings with Cooper I mean, beat the Broncos with Cooper Rush. And then the next week you have the Falcons, frankly, too. But that would be four weeks uh, with this injury to give him time to heal. But if he's 100%, he's 100%, and he's going, and he's going to play. Uh, and, and the Cowboys like their chances, though, and they should like their chances, whether Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott plays this week against the Broncos. And I'm going to be cynical here, and it does not take next-level high-end cynicism to come to this conclusion. Jerry Jones is a salesman. The next two games are at home. He wants people to show up. Even if they already have bought their tickets, they need to show up and buy all that overpriced stuff that they have at AT AT&T Stadium. I still remember paying $15 for a bucket of stale popcorn at Super Bowl forty-five. That was 11 years ago. I suspect it's $20 now for a bucket of stale popcorn at AT&T Stadium, or maybe it's not quite as stale as it was. I don't know. But it was stale that day. That's for damn sure. So you want people to show up and spend that money. And one way to get them to show up is to get them to think Dak's going to play. Dak's going to play. We're going to have Dak. And I think he's wired to be that carnival barker that says, come one, come all, step right up, ladies, gentlemen, uh, gentlemen uh, children of all ages, and then you find out once you've paid the price and bought your popcorn and your beer and your soda and your hot dog that it's going to be Cooper Rush again. So I, I guess my point is maybe Dak will play, but the last person I'm going to rely yeah. upon for my information on whether or not Dak's going to play <laughs> is Dr. Jerry Jones. All right, Philip Rivers, he tells Sam Farmer in the L.A. Times that – If the Saints call, he'll listen. Now, that's a day after Sean Payton made it clear that they're going with who they have. Should they revisit that if Phillip Rivers is willing to throw his bolo tie into the ring? I'm not so sure I wouldn't sign Phillip Rivers. I mean, they they had four quarterbacks on their roster anyway. I mean, add Phillip Rivers to the mix just to see, just to provide that veteran leadership for your young guys to see what he, you know, whether he plays or not, at least he could come learn the offense. Then if you have another injury at that position, say Taysom Hill in right with that concussion when he comes back, 
Whatever the case may be, at least you already have the guy in the building learning the offense just in case it's an emergency situation. I would certainly, Mike, rather have Phillip Rivers play than Ian Book, who's a fourth-round draft pick and has never taken a regular season snap. Yeah, I, I would love to see what Rivers could do working with Sean Payton. Yeah. Because Payton's going to get the best out of whatever quarterback he puts on the field. And, and maybe Trevor Simeon at this point is a better option than Phillip Rivers. But would anyone have said that last year, the year before, the year before that? No. We had even forgotten where Trevor Simeon no. was. So uh, I, I would love to see it happen. Now, Sean Payton said what he said yesterday, I think, because the obvious question that came up in the aftermath of the Jameis Winston injury was, hey, Sean Payton knows Cam Newton from defending against him as the head coach of the Saints for the better part of a decade. Uh, would Cam be someone who would have a seat in New Orleans? And Sean Payton made it clear that it would be difficult to bring in somebody on the fly. But you know what you could say about Phillip Rivers? This guy's been around football for so long, and he's been with different teams, and he's played in different offenses. He'll, he'll quickly pick this up, and he's a better fit for what we do. Whatever other cliche you want to throw out there to justify being interested in Phillip Rivers and not being interested in Cam Newton, I think Sean Payton believes that physically Cam Newton's at the end of the road. And also there is that reality that when you bring in a new personality, whether it's Phillip Rivers, Cam Newton, or anyone else, it is going to affect the balance in the locker room and uh, how, how does that work in your favor or against you, those are decisions the teams have to make. But I'm still going to be surprised if they do it because I interpret what Sean Payton said yesterday as a pretty clear indication he's going to stick with who he has. Now, if that changes, Phillip Rivers is not that far away, Shireen, from New Orleans. They could get in there pretty quickly. They could get him in. They could see what he's ready to do, and they could see if they want to give him a try. Coaching high school football in Alabama, so he would go to New Orleans in a heartbeat with the chance to win his first Super Bowl, something that has eluded him. It just makes a lot of sense. Now, I would question whether if if the Saints hadn't seen what they saw out of Trevor Simeon on Sunday against the Buccaneers, if they would be looking a different direction. My inclination tells me that, yes, they probably would have gone a different route if they hadn't seen him play like he did on Sunday against the Bucs. He was good. And and Taysom Hill coming off that concussion, I wouldn't expect him to play quarterback this week. He's going to need probably a couple weeks to get back in it. And he wasn't going only to quarterback meetings, I'm sure. So there's a lot of things working with him. I think this is going to be Trevor Simeon's team. But let's say he goes out and stinks on Sunday. Phillip Rivers is certainly a direction that you could look next week, Mike. Falcons at the Saints this weekend when Week 9 Sunday arrives. Week 8 awards coming up next. MDS joins us and we'll hand out our non-hardware hardware for Week 8 right after this on this Tuesday edition of the FBI. I'm just curious if you could clarify kind of your stance on where you are when Zach is back healthy and is he the starting quarterback when he is healthy? You know, that's... Uh... You guys are awesome. <laughs> yes. Uh, come on, Cosback. I expect this out of Rich. The rest of you guys, no, I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing. Listen, the the reality, guys, like hypothetical, I can be the next Vince Lombardi. I mean, it's the 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 reality is Mike played a really good game. We got a really short turnaround. We got to get ourselves going. And the whole hypothetical thing, the 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 focus on the, is on this moment. Uh, Zach getting healthy is always at the forefront of our mind, but. Uh, at the same time, guys, you know, and again, it's a hypothetical. You just just take the days as they come. I mean, I mean, that'd be the best thing I can can answer. I mean, if if everything goes according to plan and 
Uh, Zach comes back and he's healthy, we'll, we'll address it when, when we cross that bridge. Amazing number of folks in New York want Mike White to continue to play quarterback based on one game. One game. But uh, that's how it goes sometimes in New York. MDS is with us now. We're ready to hand out the awards from week eight of the 2021 season. MDS, you're away with Offensive Player of the Week. You heard Robert Salah. Mike White is my man. He joined Cam Newton as the only quarterbacks in NFL history to pass for 400 yards in their first career starts. He's also the Jets' first 400-yard game since Vinny Testaverde had won 21 years ago. There's a long list of Jets quarterbacks who never passed for 400 yards in a game. Guys like Mark Sanchez and Geno Smith and a whole bunch of others since Vinny Testaverde. But I thought White looked poised. He didn't get shaken by a couple of early interceptions that really weren't his fault. I still doubt White is actually going to be the starter once Zach Wilson is healthy. But for one game, I think he played as well as they possibly could have hoped for. We had something called tight end day a couple weeks ago. I think that last Sunday should have been backup quarterback day, and I think we all have backup quarterbacks on our list here. I picked Cooper Rush. Nobody expected him to do what he did against the Vikings in his first career start. And frankly, my question is, if he was this good passing for over 300 yards, 325 yards, two touchdowns, why didn't the Cowboys use him last year when they started Andy Dalton, Garrett Gilbert, and for God's sake, Ben DiNucci in that horrible game against the Eagles last year? Why didn't they start Cooper Rush, Mike? Yeah, that's a great point, and uh, maybe they wish they had in hindsight, but I don't think anybody would have made a difference last year because the team wasn't nearly as good overall as it is this year. The Seahawks not as good this year as they were last year, but you know, they looked so bad last Monday night against the Saints. They had six days to turn it around to host the Jaguars. The Jaguars had two weeks to get ready. The Jaguars were coming off of their first win of the season, their first win in 20 games. I thought Geno Smith and company would have trouble. Geno Smith proved me wrong. 20 for 24, 195 yards, a pair of touchdowns, a 128.3 passer rating. He had a touchdown on the ground as well. Connected with Tyler Lockett 12 times for 142 yards. And I know it was just the Jaguars, but everything about that situation pointed toward an upset. The line was only three points. People sensed that the Jaguars were in position to potentially make it interesting, and the Seahawks slammed the door in their faces thanks to Geno Smith, so i got to give him some credit. Um, All right, defensive player of the week, MDS, who do you have? Well, I'll stay in Seattle and go with linebacker Bobby Wagner. He's 31 years old and maybe on the downside of his career, but I've been impressed with how he and the Seahawks' defense have stepped up to keep them competitive since Russell Wilson got hurt in that blowout win over the Jaguars. Wagner was credited with 14 total tackles. Wagner has played every single defensive snap for the Seahawks in every single game this season. Uh, He's playing at a higher level than I think most people expected from him at this point in his career. And the Seahawks defense was really bad early in the season. But I think Bobby Wagner has kind of led the way in getting this Seahawks defense playing a little bit better. I'm going to go with Adrian Phillips. And, you know, he spent 2014 to 2019 with the Chargers, played 66 games with them, then left to sign with the Patriots. He's now 2-0 and 
against his former team in two years, and he turned in a magnificent game. Two interceptions turned into 11 points uh, for the Patriots in that game. His first touchdown in eight NFL season, he had the pick six. He already has three picks this year. That's the most in a single season in his career, Mike. And uh, I am going to go with Randy Gregory, the Cowboys defensive end, who was caught in the gears of the substance abuse policy for a long time. He's one of the guys who got forgotten, frankly, by the league and the union in early 2020 when they revamped the substance abuse policy. And it was Randy Gregory, Josh Gordon, Martavis Bryant, Justin Blackman, who we've heard was trying to get back in. Gregory's back, and Gregory is wreaking havoc. And I think one of the reasons why... Kirk Cousins looked so bad on Sunday night was because he was constantly aware of where Randy Gregory was. And he's getting it done without DeMarcus Lawrence there. And, boy, they get DeMarcus Lawrence back. And and if he can get back to the form that got him his big contract, uh, Cowboys defense could be even better than it is now. Team could be even better than it is now. All right, rookie of the week time, MDS, who do you have? I have 49ers running back Elijah Mitchell, who ran for 137 yards against the Bears and gave me another opportunity to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is if you're going to draft a running back, it needs to be late in the draft. The 49ers traded up in the third round to take running back Trey Sermon. Then they took Mitchell in the sixth round, and Mitchell has significantly outplayed Sermon this year. Mitchell had a big game against the Bears, who, by the way, had their own rookie sixth round running back in Khalil Herbert. It is those late round picks where value is found at the running back position. And Elijah Mitchell is just the latest running back to demonstrate that. We don't pick many defensive players for our rookie of the week, but when we do, the one name stands out, and that's Micah Parsons. And I think you can probably, barring injury, write his name for defensive rookie of the year. He's playing just like at the 12th overall pick. Uh, he played. He was upset about the way he played against the Patriots. He came back. He had 11 tackles, four tackles for loss, and a quarterback hit against the Vikings. He was magnificent. He was a big reason that the Vikings only had 278 yards, a big reason that Dalvin Cook had only 78 yards on 18 carries. He played 97% of the snaps. The Cowboys have invested a whole lot in that linebacker position, and he has been the best one of all those guys they have drafted high up in the draft. He's terrific. He's going to be an all-pro player, it looks like, in the future, Mike. You know, even though the 49ers beat the Bears on Sunday, Justin Fields was sufficiently good to make 49ers fans, I believe. And, of course, they don't like it when we say it. But I believe they're worried that they got the wrong guy. And the one play that reminded me of former 49ers quarterback Steve Young running through the Vikings defense, it was actually 33 years almost to the day. 10-30-88 was Young. Uh, 10-31... 2021 was Justin Fields running uh, around and through and and creating that moment where you're like, hey, maybe this guy is going to be pretty good. All right, last topic, Coach of the Week, MDS, who do you have? Packers coach Matt LaFleur had, I thought, his single best game from a game-planning and play-calling perspective when you consider what a good opponent they were up against in Arizona and how ravaged by injuries the team was. LaFleur is now 33-7 and in his first 40 regular season games as a head coach that's the best start ever in the Super Bowl era and you know when we posted that at PFT some of our commenters were saying things like oh any coach could win with Aaron Rodgers well guess what 
the year before Matt LaFleur got there, Aaron Rodgers started all 16 games and the Packers went six, nine and one. I think if Rodgers ends up playing for another coach next year, he may find that the grass is not greener away from Green Bay. I'm going to go with Sean Payton slash Dennis Allen, and I tried to go with one or the other, but both of them were too important to that victory over the Buccaneers. And they figured out Tom Brady in the regular season, 3-0 and now against him, and none of those games have been close. They lost Jameis. Trevor Simeon comes in, and Sean Payton does what Sean Payton does. He helps the quarterback be his best, and we saw that with Trevor Simeon. And then Dennis Allen, with what he's doing with that Saints defense, has been unbelievable. You think just back a few years ago, Mike, we were all talking about how terrible that Saints defense is. It's not terrible anymore. It's really carrying this team. And, you know, for whatever reason, Dennis Allen has received little or no consideration for another head coaching opportunity after he flamed out fairly quickly with the Raiders. But he stabilized the Saints defense, and his name never comes up. It just never comes up. It's amazing to me that it never comes up at all. And, you know, Mike Shanahan was a failed Raiders head coach who went on to do pretty good things when he got his second chance maybe Dennis Allen gets one at some point my coach of the week Mike LaFleur not Matt LaFleur but Mike LaFleur the offensive coordinator of the Jets putting together the game plan that fueled to go back to where we started Mike White's performance and Mike LaFleur quietly went up to the booth had been on the sidelines decided to go up to the booth and uh, apparently it worked because he helped work Mike White to that 400 yard passing effort only the second time as mds mentioned in league history all right we're going to take a break mds thanks as always for joining us when we return we crack open the pftpm mailbag we'll be back to wrap up this tuesday edition of pftpm right after this hey it's von miller i just landed in la i'm a los angeles ram i'm ready to get to it let's go Vaughn Miller, we're number 40 for the Rams with the permission of the family of Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch, even though the number isn't retired. Vaughn still reached out because the number hadn't been issued apparently since 1960. So Vaughn will wear number 40, the number he wore wherever he went to college. I'm not quite sure where that is. Time to open the PFTV <laughs> mailbag. Jason Foote asks, who is the most likely to take a snap? Over the remainder of the 2021 NFL season, Cam Newton, Phillip Rivers, Deshaun Watson, or Colin Kaepernick? Shereen, who do you think? I think there's only two on that list. I'm going to go with Phillip Rivers just because of what transpired today, but I don't think any of these four players are going to take a snap this season. I'm going to say Phillip Rivers as well. Look, Cam Newton's been available. It's been known that he's available for half the season. The phone rang once with the Seahawks. Now, he wasn't vaccinated at the time, and I think he realized I better be vaccinated to be ready to go when the call comes. But I think it's very telling. If the Saints don't want him and the Saints know him, that, that's, that's a concern. If I'm a coach with another team that never really had to deal with him in his heyday, I'm, I'm thinking if Sean Payton didn't want him, maybe I shouldn't either. I agree with you. It's Phillip Rivers. King Ragnar, is your sense that regardless of where the season goes, Vikings ownership will wait until the season ends to terminate Mike Zimmer, Shereen? Well, they had their bye week last week before they played the Cowboys, so I think it's likely that he at least makes it through the season. They'll see how they finish up. As you've said, that final wild card spot is wide open. The Vikings are still in the hunt for that, but they need to turn it around quickly. 
There's a Thursday night game coming up against the Steelers in December, so there's a mini-buy there if they'd want to do it. But look, they're going to be in it until the very end. That seventh spot in the NFC has nine teams that are still very much alive, and I'd say six or seven of them, five maybe at the minimum, will be very alive for it. And maybe the Vikings find their way into the seventh seed where they get obliterated in the wild card round. I wonder if that's enough to save Mike Zimmer at this point, Shereen. Get to the playoffs and lose decisively to the number two seed. Do you think that saves him? No, I don't. I I think he needs more than that at this point, Mike, and maybe they just blow this thing up and start over. And that raises the question of whether or not Rick Spielman, the GM, is in trouble. And what also comes into play here, the Wolves don't live in Minnesota, and there is benefit to having an owner who shows up every day. Although for some owners, maybe it's better if they didn't. That's it for today. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening.